that go bump in the night. So last week, you heard the first half of Autumn's journal entry about finding the dollhouse. Now, you may remember, she was just about to tell us a story from her childhood when we had to take our little break. But, we're back, and I don't know about you, but I am really ready to hear the conclusion. So, sit back, relax, and tune in to The Doll Room, Part 2. I loved dolls as a child. Like any other little girl, I had some odd 15 or 16 Barbie dolls and baby dolls growing up. I looked forward to Christmas and birthdays with the hope that I would get another to add to my ever-growing collection. You might be asking yourself how I went from loving dolls to hating them with a fervor. Well, I'll tell you. My stupid Aunt Mabel, that's what. She had a collection of every type of doll imaginable. Porcelain dolls, baby dolls, those cringy lifelike ones that people actually trick themselves into believing they're real, and my all-time favorite, ventriloquist dolls. When I would go over to her house for a visit as a little girl, I loved to ooh and ah at all the pretty dolls. My most favorite one wore a floor-length lavender ball gown and had gorgeous dark brown curly hair that was tied into a loose bun and carried a small parasol that matched her dress over her left shoulder. She would even let me play tea party with a few. I enjoyed my time at her house, and I was always sad to go and leave them behind. Well, one summer I spent three days at her house while my parents went on a couple's retreat. I remember being so excited. Thinking back on it now, it's almost unfortunate what happened next. When I got there that summer day, it was hot and sticky outside in the humid air. I was ushered into the cool and refreshing house by my aunt. She told me that I would be staying in the back bedroom, which was technically the front of the old Victorian house since it faced the street, but my aunt only lived in the back of the house for some reason. The only reason I could remember was because the back of the house had air conditioning and the front didn't. Anyway, I took my little suitcase and hurriedly and excitedly took it to the back of the house because that was where she kept her doll collection. I was thrilled to be in the back of the house where the dolls were. I just knew that my aunt would let me play with them every day. After I had placed my suitcase in the room, I turned around to gleefully see my favorite doll. However, there was a new face sitting next to where she was, higher up on a stack of boxes. Sitting there was a ventriloquist doll. It was one of those Charlie McCarthy dolls that had been super popular in the 1930s. I had, up until that time, never seen a doll quite like it. Sure, I had seen other ventriloquist dolls before. My aunt had several in the attic that I was never allowed to go to alone, but this one was different somehow. It was dressed to the nines in a fancy black tux with coattails, a monocle, and a sly, wide, toothy grin. To complete the look, he even had a black top hat. His glass eyes were open wide, and I felt a little uneasy under their leering glare. 
As I stood there staring at the doll, my aunt had, unknown to me, walked up behind me. Do you like him? She asked, giving me a scare. I, I guess so, I replied. What's his name? His name is Charlie. He's my newest little friend. She always called her dolls her little friends, as if that somehow made them more real and her less lonely. I just got him in yesterday, along with a few others. He is very special. He can talk and move on his own, she added. My eyes grew wide with the thought. If he could talk and move on his own, did that mean he could walk as well? Aunt Mabel, I ventured, can he walk, too? Well, you never know, but I bet it'll be when you aren't looking and you least expect it, she said with a suggestive wink. Now, in my childish mind, the thought of a walking, talking, moving doll about the same height as me was terrifying. I loved to play with them and make up stories with them, but if any of them began to move or talk on their own, let's just say I wasn't too keen on the idea. But that wasn't the only reason I would come to hate that doll. That night at my aunt's house, after I finished brushing my teeth, I walked down the hallway to my bedroom. I had spent most of the latter part of the day in the front of the house with my aunt, baking cookies and making dinner, then watching my favorite movie at the time, Beauty and the Beast, while eating in the living room on TV dinner trays. Now it was night and the sun had set. The world was dark and quiet out, except for the electric hum of the street lamp that sat directly outside the door. As I turned to head into my room for the night, I instinctively turned back to take a look at the dolls, just as I had done a hundred times before, except this time it was night out and I had never seen the dolls in the dark before. You see, there was a window that sat just above the door, a green stained glass window with flecks of red intertwined with the green, and blue edges that made the colors pop. The window was beautiful in the daytime, and equally so in the night, due to the street lamp that shone through it. As I turned to once more look at the dolls, I found myself absolutely horrified. The reds, greens, and blues from the stained glass windows gave an eerie glow to the room. Depending on where the colored light shone, it glinted off the doll's glass eyes, giving their skin an unnatural, sickly pallor, and bathing the room in a kaleidoscope of hair-raising hues. I surveyed the room, my heart pounding and my palms becoming sweaty. My eyes finally rested on the largest doll of all, Charlie. As the light came through, it made his eyes look as if they glowed green. His skin only perpetuated the villainous look, and the boxes he sat atop seemed only to make him bigger in the dark. I froze with fear and remembered the words of my aunt. He is very special. He can talk and move on his own. But it'll only be when you aren't looking, and you least expect it. I stared, stopped in my tracks and unmoving. How could I take my eyes off him if he could move on his own the moment I stopped looking? 
My aunt came back to tuck me in and glanced from me to Charlie. He is wonderful, isn't he? She said, almost in awe of him. Then she quickly ushered me to bed, but I never took my eyes off him till I rounded the corner. She tucked me in and gave me a kiss on the forehead, said her good nights and her see you in the mornings, then turned off the bedside lamp and left the room, closing the door behind her. As soon as her footsteps faded, I turned the light back on. I sat up in bed, never taking my eyes off the door. I thought perhaps if I didn't turn off the light and kept my eyes on the door, even if Charlie opened the door, he would simply drop on the floor the moment I laid eyes on him, or be frozen in place as if I had been Medusa from Greek mythology. Either way, I made up my mind not to fall asleep that night. It only took an hour or two before I began to droop in my bed, my back becoming tired from sitting so alertly. I was so tired, but I wasn't about to let Charlie catch me unaware. I looked at the clock. It read 10.47 p.m. It was only a little over an hour past my bedtime, but I had played hard that day, and fear has a way of making you tired after a while. I straightened up in bed, determining not to fall asleep. That's when I noticed a new sensation. My bladder was making itself known. I decided to hold off as long as I could before making the trek to the only one of the two bathrooms in the whole house. There was one in my aunt's room and one on the complete other side of the house. Either way, I was going to have to move past the dolls and Charlie to get to one. I waited for as long as I could, holding my stomach and trying various sitting positions to relieve the tension that was beginning to band around my lower abdomen. After what seemed like an eternity, I felt like I was going to explode if I didn't hurry to the bathroom, and I, being a self-respecting five-year-old, refused to wet the bed. I got out of bed and walked to the door. I stood there listening for a while, but heard nothing. I decided if I opened the door fast enough, I could prevent Charlie from rushing me or coming into the room, which in my mind was the only safe space in the entire house. I jerked the door open. Charlie still sat, perched on his box, looking more menacing than ever. I skirted down the hall, never breaking eye contact with him. Maybe it was a trick of the light, or maybe it was because I was so tired, but I swore I saw him blink. Terror filled my tiny frame. I should have just wet the bed. I sprinted down the hallway on tippy toes, almost playing a game of hopscotch as I went, trying not to wake my aunt sleeping on the creaky boards along the way. I'm sure, thinking back on it now, it looked quite comical, but at the time, I was just trying to survive the night. As soon as I got to the bathroom, I quickly shut the door and turned on the lights. I listened at the door for the sound of footsteps following me, but heard none. I quickly relieved myself and prayed a silent prayer before heading back down the long hallway. I faced forward, glancing anxiously to and from every possible hiding spot in the house, thinking that Charlie may be hiding in any one of them and praying he wasn't. I got back to where the dolls were and peeked around the corner. Charlie was still there leering as he ever did. 
I skirted back against the length of wall that headed to my room and closed the door. Walking backwards to the bed, I never took my eyes off the door. I sat up all night that night. Whenever I thought I was getting too tired to keep my eyes open, I would hear a creak or a groan, and I just knew it had to be that horrible doll walking around outside my door. I got up the next morning with bags under my eyes and a crick in my neck and opened my door. There was Charlie, looking like he hadn't moved even a little, but I knew in my child's heart he had been up all night with me. I spent every night at my aunt's house like that, propped up in bed staring dumbly out the door, snatching quick naps during the day so I could stay up all night. By the time my parents came to pick me up, I imagined I looked pretty rough. My parents said nothing in front of my aunt, though my mother eyed me suspiciously. And I was grateful for that, since I didn't want my aunt to know what had transpired and seem ungrateful for her hospitality. When I got home, though, I told my parents of my ordeal, crying my eyes out as I did and falling into a deep, deep slumber after a short while. Needless to say, my parents didn't let me spend the night at my aunt's house ever again, and to my knowledge, my aunt never found out why. Now, this memory is flashing back in my mind as I came barreling through the door. Once I had regained my bearings and had a chance to look around, I realized I had found the doll room at last. The name implied that there would be many dolls in this room, hence the name. But it hadn't hit me till that very moment. From floor to ceiling were rows of shelves hanging on the powder pink walls. As I stepped further into the room, I noticed that on the shelves were various names. On some of the shelves, dolls sat atop them, each one belonging to a different doll. All had a first and last name, and each was unique and dainty. I turned about the room at the middle glancing from doll to doll. Lisey Bell, Eleanor Rose, Mary May, Clarence Starling, and so forth. All the dolls had names. And I noticed to my shock and horror that unlike my aunt's little friends, they were all moving, all breathing, blinking, and some were even talking in hushed tones like the doll I now absent-mindedly held in my hand. I stared at them as they stared back, never once moving an inch. That's when I realized something else. There were spaces missing on the shelves. I quickly read the names. Annabelle Lee, Hattie Joe, Lillianne, August Day, Huckleberry Finn, and Augustus Jones. Seven. Seven were missing. Where in the Sam Hill were they? I began to panic even more than I already was, my heart close to bursting with the pounding in my chest. I whirled around when I heard a bubbly little giggle. Standing there were five little dolls, three boys and two girls, and one pointing at me as the others giggled, and two looking curiously out the door. Apparently they had heard me coming and sought to fortify the door lest I interrupt their fun. I wanted this to stop. I wanted to be anywhere but in that room. I wanted so many things at that moment. But 
We rarely ever get what we want now, do we? I tried to think of what to do next, but I blanked. I knew for sure that I didn't want them getting out of the room, so I decided that the first order of business was to close and lock the door, which I did post-haste. The next thing I did was close my eyes and stop to take a breath, easily the first one I had taken since I had gotten into the room proper. I didn't need to be passing out. That wouldn't do me any good. Then I remembered the rules which I now regarded as my survival guide. The rules clearly stated that I needed to, quote, make sure you face the dolls in the doll room facing the wall at night. Why that helped anything or did any good, I didn't care at the time. I just wanted to get those dozens of eyes off of me and looking at the wall. I hoped if I could face the dolls towards the shelves on the first wall, I would have more luck, so that's what I did. As soon as I faced the first doll to the wall, it was like turning a switch. The doll stopped all movement. There was no breathing, blinking, staring, grumbling, thumping. The doll simply froze. I, now that I was close to the wall, got a better glimpse of the wallpaper, and something caught my eye. On the pink wall, there were written words, left to right, top to bottom, all over the paper. After studying them for a moment, it appeared like the language was Latin. I didn't know what the words meant. But things written in Latin are seldom ever a good thing, especially in a weird, enchanted, logic-defying, time-hopping hotel like this one. I scrambled now to turn the dolls to the walls, the song Get Low playing in my head as I did so. I finished quick enough, but that's when the empty slots seemed even emptier. I turned my attention back to the dolls which were now closing in on me. I had no idea which doll was which, but I didn't care. They were going on the shelves one way or another. I swooped up the first doll and shoved it in the closest spot, facing the wall. Then I grabbed the second. I shoved it into the next available slot and began to reach for the next one, a boy this time. When the room began to rumble and shake, I dropped the doll I had just grabbed and spun around. The doll I had just placed had spun its head around a complete 180 degrees looking at me disapprovingly. I grabbed that doll back off the shelf, and the rumbling stopped immediately, and its head returned to normal. I tried the next spot on a different shelf, and the rumbling immediately began again. I grabbed it back off the shelf. Maybe this was the doll's way of saying it was in the wrong place? I kept trying slots, and on the fifth try, the room didn't rumble when I placed it. I kept this up, till all but the first stall, the one from outside my door, had been placed. I took another last look at the doll in my hands, and then looked up at the shelf. Huh. So you're Annabelle Lee, then, I said to myself. I placed her back in her slot, and then stood to look about the room. Now, remember how I said there were seven empty slots? I was never really good at algebra in school, but simple math I was a pro at. There had only been five dolls on the floor, and one in my arm. All the rest had still been in their places. I turned to look at the corner of the room. There was still one empty slot left in the room, on the third shelf from the floor, at eye level, first in the row, 
was the seventh empty slot. I groaned and hung my head low as I walked over to it. With a deep sigh, I looked at the name in the spot. I was prepared to go hunting for this missing doll all throughout the hotel if need be, but I would at least know the name of the doll before I went hunting for it. My eyes grew big, my breath hitched, and my heart stopped. Written on the shelf in front of the last slot was the name, Autumn Winters. I spun around and ran from the room, slamming and locking it behind me. Why was my name there? What did it mean? Were those other dolls once real people too? A thousand thoughts ran through my head. As soon as the key clicked in the lock, I gave the knob a quick turn, just to make sure it was locked. Then I ran down the halls back to my own room, slamming the door, not caring if I woke up Mr. Elberton, and locked my own door. I looked around the room and grabbed the nearest chair and wedged it into the door. Nothing was going to come for me tonight. I practically jumped onto the bed and stared at the door, listening for any and all movement on the other side. I must have stayed there for hours, unmoving, hardly blinking. About the time exhaustion set in and my eyelids began to slowly close, I heard a rapping as if someone had been tapping at my balcony's door. And that, listeners, is where the entry about the doll's room ends. I guess we'll all just have to wait and see who or what was tapping on Autumn Winter's door. What do you guys think? Do you like this journal? Do you have any fun doll stories to tell me? Either way, as always, feel free to hit me up on Facebook at Haunted Horror Story and Podcast, or you can always send me an email with your story to hauntedhorrorstorian at gmail.com. That's all for this week. So until next time, listeners, stay spooky and remember, sometimes it's more than just a story.